This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. What an example for us. What a beautiful prayer. Speak the word only. It's an example for us. We come to the Bible. Great prayer. Great prayer. Speak the word only. Give me a word. Give me a word of assurance. Give me a word of answer. Lord, this morning, I'm troubled. I need a word from you that I can rest on. Give me the word, and I know you're going to take care of it all. Like the hymn says in the hymn, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart, where it says, I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the flesh, the veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. No signs, nothing extraordinary, just speak the word only. So what the, the centurion is saying is that if you speak the word, it'll have two effects. First, for my servant, he'll be healed. Second, for me, I'll have peace, because I'll believe it. And these weren't just empty words for the centurion uh, when he says, speak the word only. Because then he explained, he went on to explain what he meant. And he, he says, I only need a word because he says in verse nine, I'm, look, I'm, I'm under authority. I have soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, he goeth. So another, come, he cometh. And to my servant, do this, he doeth it. So what he's saying here is that I know who you are. I know you are the almighty God, the almighty Lord of hosts. You have myriads of angel servants just waiting for your command. All you have to do is speak, it's done. He's saying that he believed the Lord Jesus was the God of creation. He's saying, I believe you spoke worlds into existence with just your word, like it says in Psalm 33, 9, Psalm 33, 9. He spake, it was done, he commanded, it stood fast. Psalm 33, 6, Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Hebrews 11.3, Hebrews 11.3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed 
by the word of God, and that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Psalm 148.5, Psalm 148.5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded they were created. And last, Romans 4.17, Romans 4.17, God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So he calls things which aren't there, and then they were there. You know, for example, he says, let there be light. And the angel says, what's light? And then all of a sudden there was light. So what faith this centurion had and what the faith of the centurion did for him is it enabled the centurion to take the past power of God that he understood through creation and project it onto his current need. That's what faith is. Faith is creative in that way. Faith was, for the centurion, he was thinking, if God just with his word spoke things into existence that never existed before, then that same word can speak health into my servant. And the Lord listened to the reasoning, because that's reasoning in verse nine. He listened to the reasoning of the centurion and he just stood there, he marveled. He couldn't believe it. And then he spoke to others around him, but that's what it says in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So the Lord Jesus hears what the centurion says, and he marvels. It's amazing to see God marvel. He marvels, he just stands there, he's astonished. He's admiring the centurion's faith. I mean, this is a scene that we wanna just stop and capture a little bit. In our minds, the Lord standing there, stunned, marveling, astounded, I mean, there stood the Lord who had seen all the glorious beauty of every part and every animal on planet Earth that you and I haven't seen. And there he stands, and he's seen every part of every planet in the universe that you and I haven't seen. I mean, there stood the Lord. He's seen all the glory of all the wealth of the world that man has accumulated. He has, there stood the Lord. He's seen all the glorious achievements of man. He's seen all the seven wonders of man and more. And there stood the Lord marveling with admiration at a centurion's faith. And he says, I haven't found so great faith, he says. Those are his words he used, so great faith. And when the Lord said he hadn't found that, that means that he was looking for it, but he didn't find it. Just as he's looking for that faith today in you and I. And at that time, he was looking for that great faith in Israel, and he found it in the most unlikely, unexpected place, a foreigner, Gentile, Roman soldier. And that caused the Lord to marvel because he found it in the unexpected Roman soldier. I mean, what advantage did a Roman soldier have to build his faith in Roman military camps? Those aren't churches to build great faith in crowded military barracks. Those aren't Sunday schools to develop great faith. On the bloody, cruel, killing fields of the battle, those aren't church fellowships to build great faith. And so he marvels because it was so unexpected to find this fully developed great faith that he didn't find in Israel. It says in Romans 14, Romans 14.4, Speaking about this, how is this possible? It says in Romans 14, 4, he shall be holding up 
for God is able to make him stand. Romans 14.4 speaks about God holding a person up and making him to stand. The centurion soldier had obviously reached out to God from the worst place, and God held him up and made him stand. And when the centurion soldier turned to God, then God helped him to develop his faith under the worst conditions, which shows us that no matter what or who we are surrounded with, no matter how far from church, God is able to hold us up and to make us stand. If he did it for the centurion, he can do it for anyone. That's the power of God, to hold up and to make a person stand under the worst conditions. And we look at the Jewish people today, which I do, and say, they're so far from the Lord Jesus Christ as God, so much so that they will screen out anybody who wants to come into their country if they believe that Jesus is God or become a citizen. And you say, can they ever come to him? And the Bible speaks to that, speaks the answer to that question in Romans 11.23. Romans 11.23. They also, if they abide not in unbelief, shall be grafted in. God is able to graft them in again. So what the Lord saw in the great faith of this centurion was so astounding, it was astoundingly marvelous because it was unexpected. It was unexpected. You say, well, uh, okay, here's a picture of how unexpected this is. Just imagine a nicely fenced garden, a large, nicely fenced garden, and a gardener who's working very hard tending the fruit in his garden. And the gardener does not work outside the fence. He stays inside the fence to work in his garden. And the gardener puts all of his efforts to working inside the garden, inside the fence of the garden. But some of the seed accidentally drops outside the fence. It, goes, it accidentally falls outside the fence on the ground that the gardener has not tilled, the gardener has not fertilized, the gardener has not uh, taken the weeds out, but the seed, some seed just accidentally falls outside the fence on that ground that hasn't been, the weeds haven't been taken out. And then the gardener stops and he sees outside his garden on the other side of the fence, the seed grew by itself and without one, any work from the gardener, it's yielded more fruit than better fruit, more fruit and better fruit than inside his garden. Now, at that point, the gardener would stand there and marvel over that site as he would say, well, will you look at that? I never would have expected to find that better fruit outside my garden. Now, that's the scene. That's the scene of the Lord Jesus here. The Lord Jesus is the gardener. The garden is where he has put all his work. They are the Jewish people. That's the Jewish people. They're inside the fence of his garden, Israel, and the Gentile Roman soldier is outside the fence of the garden, Israel. And just as the gardener stands inside the fence of his garden and marvels at the better fruit that the seed accidentally fell on outside of his fence, so the Lord Jesus is standing now in his garden, Israel, and he's marveling at the better fruit of better fruit of faith that's outside the fence in this Gentile Roman soldier from seed that accidentally fell to him. And as the Lord Jesus stands there, 
in verse 10, marveling at the sight of this Gentile Roman soldier, it's like the Lord Jesus is the gardener, and he's saying, well, will you look at that? I never would have expected to find that better fruit of faith outside the Garden of Israel. And what do you think that gardener would think in the garden? Back to the garden. What do you think that gardener would think when he saw the better fruit outside his fence? He'd say, well, if I get better fruit outside my fence, there's no need to have this fence. As a matter of fact, this fence is preventing me from getting the better fruit. I'm gonna break the fence down. I'm gonna break down the fence and I'm gonna harvest the better fruit where I find it. And just like the gardener, what do you think the Lord Jesus was thinking when he saw the better fruit outside of his garden, of his fence of Israel? He says, well, if I get better fruit outside my fence of Israel, there's no need to have a fence. As a matter of fact, this fence is preventing me from getting the better fruit. I'm gonna break down this fence and I'll harvest the better fruit wherever I find it. This is exactly what the scriptures teach that what God has done, he broke down the fence, the fence of separation between his garden Israel and outside his garden in the Gentile world because that fence is called the wall of separation in the Bible. It's called the middle wall of separation. And when God found better fruit out on the other side, God broke that middle wall of partition down. And he said that to the Gentiles in Ephesians 2.11. Ephesians 2.11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were, we already read this first, that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. See, in that verse, what God is saying there is to say, tear the fence down. If there's better fruit on the outside of this garden, tear it down. And that's what it means when he says he broke down the middle wall of partition between us, between us, Paul writing, the Jewish Paul writing to the Gentiles, and he's saying, there's no need to have a fence here anymore because you have better fruit than what's inside the garden. So in verse 10, when the Lord saw the great faith of the centurion, it was so unexpected that he just stood there stunned and marveled. Now, when he stood there in verse 10, he marvels at what he calls so great faith, so great faith, which shows us that there are degrees of faith. This was, the centurion had great faith, so great faith. There were those in a boat, in a storm, with the Lord Jesus who feared, and they had little faith, Matthew 8, 26. Matthew 8, 26. He saith unto them, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the seas, and there was a great calm. There was a father who came to the Lord, and the Lord said about him, you have no faith. In Luke 9.41, Luke 9.41, Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you, suffer you, bring thy son hither. The Lord looked at Thomas one day, and he commanded him to not be faithless, don't be no faith, he says in John 20, 27. John 20, 27. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and 
reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but be believing. So there's a spectrum here. The spectrum goes from no faith to little faith to great faith. So what the centurion had was great faith. And that then sets the stage for us to probe out what was it about the centurion's faith that made him have great faith? Because we want great faith. You want to know. The centurion's faith, why was it great? Well, we kind of already mentioned. First of all, the centurion's faith was great because it was a faith that broke through the barriers in his particular case of him being a Gentile to go to help from a Jew. It was a faith that broke through the barriers. The centurion's faith was great because it didn't stand still. It was the Christopher Columbus um, faith. It was great because he left and went to find. The centurion's faith was great because of that. Also, the centurion's faith was great because he saw the unseen. The centurion saw the unseen. When the centurion, centurion talked about the Lord having authority over powerful servants to heal, he was talking about servants that were unseen, angelic servants, unseen. And that's a key of faith. That's a very important key to faith, to see the unseen. The more we see the unseen, the more faith we'll have. This is what faith really is. Faith is to see the unseen. It says in Hebrews 11.27, Hebrews 11.27, commenting on the life of Moses, how was Moses able to leave Egypt? How was Moses able to endure? It says, Hebrews eleven twenty seven, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured, Moses forsook Egypt because he saw him that was invisible. In fact, uh, that chapter, Hebrews 11.1, 1, starts, Hebrews, it starts off in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's a faith chapter, and it's describing to us some characteristic about faith. Faith, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When a person has faith, he is and reacts and behaves according to what he doesn't see, and that's faith. It's the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.13, also in that chapter, Hebrews 11.15, it describes these all died in faith, Hebrews 11.13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The promises of God are too far to be seen for the faithless eye. Can't see it. They're invisible, but to the eye of faith, the promises are not only seen, they're embraced, and they change what a person says about their life. They change about their life confession. I'm a stranger, I'm a pilgrim, because of the invisible they see. This is what our faith does for us in our lives. Our faith causes us to focus on things not seen. The uh, underlying description of faith is 2 Corinthians 4.18. 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look at the things which are seen, while we look not, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
we look at things not seen. Seems like an oxymoron. How can you look at something not seen? That's what we do. And foremost, what we are looking at is really who we are looking at. It's the person we're looking at. Hebrews 12.2, Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have one central focus in our faith sight of looking at the unseen. It's looking unto Jesus, looking at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when we do that? 1 Peter 1.8 tells us, 1 Peter 1.8, whom having not seen, you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We've never seen the Lord, but faith causes us, we see him so much we love him. We see him so much we love him the most. And, and, and we, we believe into him, and we rejoice in him. And we say, 1 Timothy 1.17, 1 Timothy 1.17, we say, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. By faith we see our eternal, immortal, wise God who is invisible. So the centurion's faith was great because he saw the unseen, and he talked about how the Lord could heal his servant because of the authority of his word would be carried out by the Lord's unseen servants. The more we see the unseen, the greater our faith. Then the centurion's faith was great because it was humble. It was a humble faith. You know, the centurion is great authority. Oftentimes, haughty people. No, not him. He is humble. He feels unworthy. He knows, even though he's a man of authority, he has humility. The more humble we are, the more aware we are of our personal unworthiness, the greater our faith. His faith was great because it caused him to care for others. He wasn't all about himself. His, his whole focus was not about himself personally. It was about his sick servant. It wasn't his own need. It was the need of his servant that drove him to the Lord. The more we care for others, the greater is our faith. The centurion's faith was great because his faith caused him to intercede for another. This other person couldn't even couldn't, couldn't go to the Lord. He was on his deathbed. He was lying at home, paralyzed. The more we intercede for others, the greater is our faith. The centurion's faith was, was great because he was generous. He was a generous giver. He built that synagogue for the Jews. He didn't have to do that of his own money. So he did that. The more we give, the greater is our faith. And he was faith, his faith was great because he had confidence in both the Lord's willingness to help and his power to help. He said in verse eight, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. He didn't say speak the word only and maybe he'll be healed. Maybe that might help. He didn't say that. He didn't say if thou canst do anything. He didn't say that. He said, just speak it, it'll be done. There was no doubt about it in the centurion. He said to the Lord, speak and it shall be done. The more we have confidence in the Lord's willingness and power to help, the greater our faith. So what have we seen today? We've seen a centurion with great faith that caused the Lord to marvel. May we be like that centurion. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage and how it teaches us, Lord, to follow the centurion, be like him. And... Uh, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.